everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Talk HR UK. I'm Simon Gear, and when I'm not recording podcasts with great HR professionals, I'm helping HR directors, managing directors and CEOs recruit the best HR talent in the Southeast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Debbie Sanders. Good morning, Debbie. Hi, Simon. Hi there. Um, it's a lovely day today. It's a very warm, sunny day on the day that we've all discovered the roadmap out of lockdown so we're, we're shrouded in positivity today and we're going to keep that running throughout today's uh, conversation but I've known Debbie who's an employee relations change and transformation specialist since uh, sorry Debbie since August 2006 we met I had to look up earlier so it has been a really long time and uh, great that we're still in touch you would Debbie was just coming out of one of the large management consultancies when we met and looking to get back into an in-house role um Debbie's worked at places like EDF Energy Marshall James GSK where we did a certain amount of work together uh, and more recently National Air Traffic Services uh, before forming her own organization so Debbie's the founder of Make Work Better an employee relations consultancy and and that's really the subject of today's podcast is the the interesting and exciting and dangerous world of employee relations. Um, so thanks for joining, Debbie. I mean, I, I guess I'll go straight in with a question that's, that's topical to me personally at the moment. Alexander Lloyd are handling a higher number than, than recent, of, um, recent times of employee relations roles, what I call sort of heads of department or ER managers in, in a, a range of industries, actually. Why do you think there's this spike in demand for ER professionals at the moment? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I'd say that I'm, I'm not surprised, Simon, that that's the case. I, I guess um, when you think about, you know, particularly the last 12 months, how we've we've been tested, all of us, you know. So so if you're in a unionised environment, um, unions have had to deal with some very big issues. We've all had to deal with those issues, you know, things like pay cuts, um, the furlough arrangements, you know, moving to home working um, and in some areas, job losses. So, you know, those sorts of things, you know, 12 months ago, we wouldn't have imagined we would have been dealing with. Um, I think individually as well. So even if you haven't got unions in a workplace, um, you know, everyone's had sort of personal challenges. So not only all of this stuff going on in work, but we've all had issues going on outside of work as well. So, you know, the last 12 months has been, and I don't need to tell anyone else this, has been so much pressure, immense pressure on, on all of us. And I think that then takes its toll in the workplace. Um, I think having, you know, organisations hopefully really realising the importance of having really good ER people to, to, to manage the type of change, not just the change we've had, but the, the changes that we're, we're definitely going to be having. And I think, you know, we'll probably talk about some of this later on. If you if you had a crystal ball, you would probably be saying organisations are likely to restructure. They're likely to um, continuing to, to continue to have to adapt. Um, and if you've got unions, you need to do that in the right way. If you if you haven't got unions, you still need to do it in the right way through your employees. So, yeah, I guess it doesn't surprise me at all like you say that you're having a uh, an increased demand for, for for good ER people oh definitely definitely um and it's it's interesting because I, I obviously my job is to meet HR people all day every day 
employee relations isn't always the most popular specialism in HR. I'm understating that. You know, quite often people <laughs> see it as a bit of a, you know, a black art. It's, it's, it's complex. It's not, I mean, it's a hard, it's a difficult area of HR uh, quite often. I mean, why, why do you think that is? Why is it a less popular specialism of the, the broader HR piece? Yeah, well, I've, I have wondered that for, for quite a long time myself as well. And it's, it's certainly been sort of my experience that um, it isn't as popular as for amongst HR professionals as, you know, learning and development or OD or, or um, you know, talent management, for example. Um, I don't really understand why HR people aren't more drawn to it, but I would say that, wouldn't I? Because because uh, I really, really enjoy it. Um, and it is, it's seen as a sort of dark arts, it's seen as a, a game of smoke and mirrors. Um, and that's particularly, I think, when it's unionised. But when you think about, in, in some companies, employee relations can just mean case management, a very, very important part of HR, but it can be, ER can literally mean managing grievance disciplinary, you know, bullying harassment, that, that, that type of quite narrow role. And then you look at other companies, and I'm thinking about one I worked in at GSK, um, their definition of ER um, becomes so, so much wider so that it doesn't just cover sort of case management, it covers corporate social responsibility, it covers the union stuff, it covers, you know, sort of human rights issues on a global scale, it covers, um, uh, what was the other one that I was thinking about the other day, diversity and inclusion sometimes gets covered in under ER as well. Um, I mean, that is sort of one, ex one extreme to the other, I guess. Um, but at the heart of it, it is about sort of really understanding how your employees feel, what the culture, the climate of the workplace is. Um, it's a fascinating area. And I would certainly encourage more HR people, if they're not, you know, if they haven't got much exposure to it, to try and get themselves um, more, more exposed to the, the, the world of, of ER. It's fundamental that HR people are really in touch with, you know, sort of can, can almost smell, it's a horrible way of putting it, but it's often one that I think of, that you can sort of, you know, you, you can sense the mood of employees and you're in touch with it. Um, and then you know how to, you know, what are the issues that you need to, to address? What are the issues that are on top of people's minds? Um, and create a, a great environment for people to, you know, to enjoy work, which is what we all aspire to, I think. Oh, well said. Well, and and this is an interesting segue. I mean, what you obviously have enjoyed ER a long time. I mean, what what attracted you to ER in the first place? Because as you say, there are often more popular routes within HR to take. Yeah. So I, I um, my career started. Uh, a long time ago, Simon, as you had alluded to. <laughs> um, I started my career actually working for a trade union. So I started working for the GMB union. Um, I started working as a researcher. Um, so I worked in a head office as a researcher. Then I went into a regional area and I was training union reps. Um, and I then became a, um, a union full-time official. And I think what attracted me to working for a union is that I had this, and I still got it, uh, a sort of inherent um, value, I guess, that about, about fairness, about people being treated fair at work. Um, 
and feeling that I wanted to be able to support people who who were having you know not a good time at work and and I saw the union as being where people would go to to get that help you know a source of um, resources uh, people who were trained to go and help others who were having a difficult time at work I it was about fairness equality you know th those sorts of issues and solving workplace problems um, now the GMB in the back end of the 1980s and the 90s um, I learned a hell of a lot but it wasn't the best place to work for um, a young woman let's leave it like that um, so I when I left the, the trade union after about six or seven years um, I carried on doing some research and writing and I found myself being asked to buy unions particularly GMB to come in and help um, as a consultant if you like I wasn't really using that term then but where relationships had broken down and the company wanted to bring in a consultant to try and resolve the issues and the unions generally had a bit of a resistance to consultants coming into their workplace but because of my background the GMB said and this was with the bin men actually in Brighton said um, if you use her we'll take part in it a bit of a double-edged sword for, for me but um, anyway I ended up sort of picking up these bits of work where I was trying to sort of find out why relationships have broken down between the union and the um, and the the uh, company, um, and it, I picked up more and more of these. It's a fascinating area to look at how collective relationships break down um, and the impact that that has on a business and the impact that that has on employees. Um, and to, to cut a long story short, I ended up picking up. A huge bit of work I didn't realize it at the time but it was with BA so with British Airways after a strike they had um, amongst their check-in staff a group of staff that they'd never imagined would walk out it was mainly women a lot of part-time workers um, and I went into BA and did a small bit of diagnostic work to find out what had gone wrong um, and ended up working in there for over five years um, and we did a sort of industrial relations change program uh, that looked at how the relationship, what had gone wrong and what, what we needed to do as um, the organisation and the unions together to build back that relationship. Um, it was such brilliant work. Um, I mean, it made a difference, a big difference. And I, I went back to BA uh, years later to find out what things had still stayed in place. And a, a, lot, a lot of it has. It needs constant investment. I, th I think um, I, I often say that employee relations is like a, a marriage or any long term relationship with a union. You have to keep working at it, you know, like like any long term relationship. It has its ups and downs, but you need to keep saying literally, you know, how is this going? Are we still you know, why haven't we spoken for a while <laughs> or, um, you know, you, you need to assess the, the, the state of the relationship quite regularly. Um, I, I also, just to finish off the bit, what attracted me to ER, what, what I found was that um, after that work at BA, I trained up as a mediator as well, because I think conflict management um, and mediation is, plays a really fundamental part in being a, uh, a good ER and a good HR professional, I think. You know, often you're bringing together two parties who seem to have lost their way whether that's an individual with the company or the union and the company, 
um, and you're trying to do what you can to bring these parties back to some sort of common ground. Um, so I've, I realized that ER was very, very much about solving problems. You know, what are the problems that are getting in the way of the business moving forward? What are the things that are making unions or em the employees uh, not enjoy, so therefore not contribute as much as they, as they, they could do at work? Um, and yeah, at EDF, at GSK, at Nats, um, I've again still really enjoyed that employee relations, rebuilding, engaging, problem solving. Um, that is at the heart of ER, I think. That's great to hear. And it's really, as you say, for such a, a challenging area that many people are a little wary of, I suppose, as a career choice, it's as you say, you, you set a great example of, of how to move through that and deal with things positively and, and make changes, which is which is great. Now, the, the current landscape, obviously, it wasn't going to be long before we dived into the world as it is now, very unusual times, you know, all, all new stuff. And as you said, yeah. it's it's bringing a lot of ER issues to the fore. Now, what what are the challenges that you think organisations are going to be facing from an ER perspective, both the, you know, the short and medium term? Uh, as we hopefully start to move out of lockdown three and see see what's left behind almost. Yeah, well, I think, you know, sort of short term, there's, there'll, there'll be some issues around, you know, vaccines, around testing, um, you know, things which may enable people to get back into, into the workplace. Um, I think the issues around remote working um, continue for, for all of us. So, you know, We've all been working at home that some of the conversations we've had to have remote from our colleagues, from our from our trade union colleagues, from our senior leaders have been have been hard. So, you know, really good communication skills are going to continue to be required. Um, I think the employee health angle is going to be really important, uh, a big challenge, you know, reintegrating people back to the work workplace who've been on furlough for a long time. So I think there's a there's a sort of number of short term issues. Um, I think the employee health issue, the, the sort of mental health impact, we're going to feel that for a while, I guess. Um, you know, that blending work and non-work, you know, if, if, if other people are, you know, like me and um, my colleagues when I was at Nats, it can become quite hard to switch off, can't it, between, um, you know, we hadn't really got used to remote working when we had to do it full time in a way. Um, I think the longer term challenges are going to be really, really interesting. Um, so I think organisations have had to make some sort of quite short term tactical decisions um, to get themselves through something which none of us knew how long it was going to be. But from what I'm hearing and seeing, you know, companies are going to have to make some more fu fundamental decisions now about the future of, of their business. Um, whether that's looking at how they're structured, their leadership teams, ways of working to sort of fit that, hopefully what will be a post COVID world. Um, I think you, you and I were talking about this recently that there seems to be more of a move as well towards asking the question, what sort of organisations do people want to work for? You know, in this idea of purpose-driven organisations, so organisations that 
um, you know, take their social impact seriously, who take diversity inclusion, you know, as a fundamental part of their business and and fundamental to their success. Um, social, you know, so social responsibility, environmental issues. I think those things are going to come to the to the heart of businesses having to sort of face up to um, some some big changes. It, you know. We're, there's going to be some talent areas where you know we're, we're going to struggle to find good people organizations are not going to want to lose those good people and they're going to want to have to uh, attract people so i think from an er point of view there's going to be more and more difficult discussions with unions um whether that's the restructuring the um new ways of working but i think on the if you haven't got a union you need to be thinking about how you keep employees informed, involved, engaged. Um, you know, how do you keep the talent that you you really need, and how do you retain talent um, and skills that you need? I think the bottom line is, you know, the pace of change was was pretty rapid last year, wasn't it? And it's going to continue. And um, and I think HR people and ER people need to be at the forefront of that you know leading the debate or or at least being around the table having the debate about what the organization could be like you know some legacy stuff that maybe it needs to not do anymore some growth areas that it could go into i'd love to see hr and er people sort of helping to shape what that looks like and and putting a you know an employee voice in their heads sometimes as well to say how is this going to land? What do employees think about that? I think you're right. I think it's a really good point. And particularly with the, you know, it's it's always hard not to get onto the generational conversations, isn't it? But the, you know, uh, when I talk to my own kids about what, what they're looking for whenever they, you know, grow up and get a job and all that and then what they want to do. And it's right at the top of the list. It's it's how organisations behave. It's, it's how their yeah. employees rate them. It's, has there been any bad press? It's how are they helping the environment? Um, and, and equally, I have to admit, a lot of these podcasts that we've done across last year, internal comms and employee engagement were the two things that just kept coming up as to how do we keep staff as, as happy as they can be during this, you know, grim old time, yeah. <laughs> really, with, you know, no one would have, would have chosen this. I mean, we, we all hope there are some good things that come out of it in terms of future ways of working and, and perhaps flexibility. But um, yeah, it's, as you say, and, and the ER impact, the, the ER angle on HR projects, I think that's a big direction going forward. You know, it's, yeah. it's the input yeah. into those broader HR projects and making sure that there is, you know, as you say, not only HR leading at the forefront of that, but that there is an ER element to that HR project team. And that's... Yeah. Yeah, something important to think about, isn't it? Um, unions, right? This is my favourite area because this is, you know, when I, when I'm talking to people who are considering a career move, it's pretty divisive. In the same way that what sectors uh -huh. do you want to work for comes up, it's um, you know, it's it's a hard yes or no to working with trade unions generally. Now, clearly, you're a, you're a hard yes. You know, you, you you're very used to it. You've worked for one. Um, Obviously, you've worked with some large organisations to help improve their relationships with trade unions, which is key. Mm -hmm. So how have you done that? How have you um, made it easier? How have you made it better? Um, well, I think there's a there's a 
yeah, there's a there's a number of steps that, that I, when I think about what I've done that I can sort of map out. But I but you know it's going to obviously be different uh, one place to another. When I think so so the most recent organisation I was in, you talked about air traffic control, um, quite similar in in a way to BA in that both both pieces of work there were about something's sort of gone wrong how do we how do we sort of re rebuild the 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 organization um the relationship rather not the organization so i think the first thing is to sort of find out what the current relationship feels like um for those key people so i've spent quite a bit of time looking at um or speaking to sort of senior leaders managers tu reps union officials and and saying you know what's working what isn't working um and looking at where the dialogue takes place between those those people and how effective it is um so to give to give you an example i won't name which of the organizations this was but there was a strategic supposedly a sort of strategic meeting with union reps and the senior leaders of the business and I went and, and sort of observed this meeting and about 30 union reps sort of wandered in the sort of full you know team of leaders uh, senior leaders was there no one really knew who these 30 people were the chair it was different from the from the you know the number of union reps they'd had there before um there wasn't really a proper agenda um it was just a sort of forum for the unions to just sort of say how how rubbish everything was. Now that then explains to you why the company didn't find the union input of any use whatsoever. So over time, what we did was actually looked at all of the meetings, all of the dialogue that was was happening, and tried to make it actually focused on business relevant issues. Because if the union can actually give you something that is valuable, you know, some employee insight, some um, input into how problems are solved, how work can be better, then why wouldn't you want to have meetings with them? But if you, why would you want to have a meeting if it's a random group of people with no agenda, you wouldn't run any business meeting like that. No, 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 just a You know, where the behaviours were awful. Yeah, you'd just be like, I can't be, I can't be doing with this. So we needed each other to see the value of each other in a way. So the strategic meeting with the with the the uh, senior leaders became a strategic meeting. So there was only few union reps went to that. The most senior, you know, the agenda was on the future of the business, the you know the business decisions that needed to be be made, the financial situation, um, and the unions could bring stuff that hadn't they hadn't been able to resolve anywhere else. I mean, it sounds quite simple, but you know that small step took quite a lot. A, a lot of time to bring in we also sort of changed the dialogue all the way through the company so at the most local level there were local managers having really good discussions with union reps about operating procedures or about um you know could have been the, the food in the in in the canteen on that in that particular location but what we didn't want was the size of the sausages being raised at the strategic level meeting, which was happening. Understandable, yeah, and I, I don't doubt it. I, I've worked for places where the, the strangest things hit the agenda, don't they? Yeah, 
so you know if you've got the right conversations happening at the right place then everyone values each other's input and then you know so you'd have your local meetings local reps local managers solving their level of problem you'd then have you know a more operational meeting looking at the operation across you know across the operation um, with those relevant managers and more senior reps and then at your strategic meeting everybody um, you know each meeting's got a clear terms of reference everybody knows what they're doing um, the meeting and 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 the meetings then became something that everybody valued um, so that was about dialogue how effective it is and where it takes place but behaviors are really important as well so in the two places that I mentioned, BA and Nats, we focus quite a lot on behaviours. Because again, when you have a team meeting, if you had a, a member of your team who their behaviours were just appalling, I mean, you know, turning up late, not being prepared, um, interrupting people, not listening, um, you know, behaving a bit petulantly, uh, you would pull them up on that. But somehow in this environment, Managers are reluctant to do to do the pulling up if it's a union rep, and often, you know, the union reps um, don't pull up the managers who don't come to a meeting prepared. So we've worked on the sort of a behaviour framework, if you like, which sounds a bit old-fashioned. Why do you have to do this? But actually, just having a right, let's set some expectations of each other. Um, and say, we're gonna run the best meetings. They're gonna be the most productive and we're gonna do it because I am gonna to listen to what you say because I actually respect what you've got to say. Um, you know, so we, we just put some sort of behavioral protocols in, a, in, in place. Um, sometimes it can be more complicated than that in that the relationship has broken down for quite some time and people just literally don't wanna be in the same room as each other. So in, in some of those places I've worked, we've had people who really do need to be talking to each other, who've just stopped. It's, you know, uh, just somebody will say, down. yeah, mm. a manager will say, I will not be in the same room as that person. And the reps will say, you know, that manager is this, that and the other. And that takes a lot of work and a lot of energy. And there are times when I've come home, just, you know, bash my head against or feel like bashing my head against a brick wall because I felt I'd been doing that all day. So why would you do it again when you're coming? <laughs> um, but they, you know, you. this is where mediation becomes, you know, those skills become really important because there was, there was a need to do what you would do in mediation, which is to have people in separate rooms, understanding their perspectives um, and then sort of bringing them back together in a, in a, and, and encourage them to listen to each other's perspectives without interrupting each other. And then slowly sort of um, bringing them to a place of, actually there is a lot of common ground between us. You know, unions want the company to survive because it's, it's you know, it's their jobs. The company wants to be successful because it's, you know, all our jobs. So there's so much common ground, but often that can be forgotten. So what I would often try to do is to get both parties to find something that they both shared an interest in solving a particular problem and work on it together. Because I think when you when you work on something with somebody else, then 
and you are successful at solving that problem, you that's when the you know you start to value the input of the mm. of the other party. You, you form bonds inadvertently yeah. in some ways, don't you? Yeah. So yeah, so I think it's there's a, there's a, there's an issue about behaviours. There's an issue about dialogue, where it is and how good it is, and there's an issue about rebuilding relationships. There's a, the the final part, I guess I would say, is about capability building. So in in all of the organisations I've worked in, we've spent a lot of time building up the skills of managers and union reps, and often doing that together is really powerful. Because they, you know, everyone loves going on to a, a course, you know, in the old days when you could all be together, but um, hopefully that will come back where we can be trained together. Um, and you do build, you know, you understand a bit more about the other person. You don't just see them as a union rep or a manager. You see them as, you know, you know, Debbie or Simon or Sarah or whoever. Um, and that really, that really sort of makes, makes a big difference. So a lot of capability building, I suppose, sorry, I know I just said the final thing, but this is the final thing that I think is really important, is about measuring the difference that it makes. Because they, you will always have managers who say, it doesn't make any difference, you know, whether you've got a good employee engagement climate or, um, you know, employee relations, does it really make a difference? And I would say fundamentally it does. Because um, when I look at these organisations I'm talking about, when the relationships in difficulty, try to do something with unions is impossible. So try to do your pay negotiations when things are not going well. Mm. You'll find it will be it will pr be prolonged. The meetings will be painful. But if the relationship's good and you can have some of the conversations about the state of the business, um, you can have very, very open discussions. So they really understand, um, you know, the difficulties or the, the problems or the challenges of the next 12 months, three years or whatever, then you are more likely to have constructive conversations that will lead to um, a better outcome. So, so measure it. And we, we did this at, at uh, a few of the places that I've worked where we take a snapshot sort of almost like a sort of pulse survey of union reps and managers at a 12 month period and ask them, you know, has change been managed more quickly? Have you solved more problems? What issues, you know, how many issues have got escalated? Are people, do people feel confident that they've got the skills to do the job? I mean, th this is about trying to create a climate that is about managing change. And I think that is what ER is about at the end of the day, try managing change in a unionized environment when you haven't got a good relationship with them. It just doesn't work. Unless as an organization, you're saying we don't care. In which case you're probably saying we don't care about our employees if I'm gonna be controversial. No, I think so that's it in a nutshell, really. It's, it's <laughs> all done. But no, it's, well, it's interesting because I mean, particularly the piece around behaviors, um, which, if, if anything, is probably the smallest and simplest piece to tackle of everything you've just said. But that's the bit that seems to throw up the barriers to, to HR professionals are, you know, sitting down with a really experienced union rep that knows everyone in the organisation, is very outspoken and direct, sometimes considered unprofessional in the way they, they talk. And 
there's this stereotype, isn't there? And, and it's clearly not the case in every single yeah. organisation with every single yeah. person that, that is involved with the trade union. Um, but there's that perception out there, which I think is why people people are scared of it. I, I think it's always, but and yet, as you, you, you illustrate, if you, firstly, planning, organisation, you know, have an idea of who's at what meeting and what can and can't be said at what level to who and, to, and how it's said, the behaviours and, and rolling on from there, you know, measuring the outputs it's going to work isn't it and, and you're going to see things change in a positive way yeah and i think the the next time that you have to deal with something big um you really know whether it's working or not mm. um you know try having a conversation with the, the union reps about implementing a pay cut mm. or you know we're going to furlough 75 percent of our employees um, you know, some of those conversations most recently, you know, have been really, really hard. Um, and, you know, those organisations that have had a have good relationship based on trust, it doesn't mean it's cosy. It doesn't, doesn't mean you all love each other. Um, but what it means is that you've, you know, you've learned how to effectively work with each other. Those organisations that have got a good relationship will have found those conversations hard but easier <laughs> exactly exactly there's you know the different varying degrees of of, of challenging aren't there? yeah so, well bearing that in mind then because this as you say you know a lot of the hr job content over the last 12 months has been in that challenging vein with with, with transformation change cost cutting headcount furlough etc what do you think are the key er skills that all hr professionals need to develop yeah i mean i th i, th I think and you, you sort of mentioned this earlier on about people can be sort of scared of this, of, of unionised environments if they haven't had that experience before. And I, I think there is something that this is probably more about confidence building than, than skills. I think there is something that it would be really helpful for HR professionals to, to know about. And that is if you're in a unionised environment, really get to understand what unions are, how they work um understand those key agreements that they sort of live by um the language that they use um i mean i have sort of sat in meetings sometimes with with hr people and just some of the language that they use really lets you know they just don't understand what how unions work and how they operate um so it's just some sort of basic stuff i think that you could learn um I would say one of the key skills is about conflict resolu resolution. That doesn't mean everyone has to train to be a mediator, but I think you, you can really develop some of those key skills um, in, in mediation. And, and that's things like, you know, really listening to another person's views. Um, not always assuming that when the manager tells you their version of events, that it's correct. I'm, I know a lot of HR professionals don't do that, by the way, but um, so listen to both views. Um, you know, try to facilitate difficult conversations, be the person who's trying to, you know, find, help the other parties to find a solution and really challenge, challenge union reps as well. So they often say that they want to be part of, 
they want to solve the problem. But actually what I found with a lot of union reps, and I've said this to many of them, they love to point out what's wrong, but they don't want to help solve the problem. So, and then they'll say, well, that's a manager's job, not mine to solve the problem. And I'd say, well, okay, you are here speaking on behalf of all of those employees. You know, you, you have got an input to how this problem can be solved. So what would you do? So I would challenge them to solve problems as well as point them out. So I think that there's a confidence thing here. Um, I would say to HR professionals, if you haven't got the experience and you really want to get to know more about it, I would try and seek out a, a coach or a, a, a mentor or somebody who could sort of be there. Maybe it's someone else in the organisation or maybe it's somebody outside of the organisation who can sort of, uh, if you've had a, if you've got a particularly difficult meeting coming up or you've had one that you just need to de decant, is that the right word? You know what I mean? You need to- exactly. it isn't, Sort of um, unpick and work through. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yes. know. Decant is good though. <laughs> um, then, then find someone who can do that, who can do that for you, you know? That's a good idea. I, I mean, certainly, it's, it's interesting you point that out. I mean, mentoring and, you know, from an external perspective has, has really taken off during lockdown. And, and as you say, particularly with employee relations, there are many people like yourself out there with this wealth of experience yeah. and, you know, forming probably a smaller slither of the pie chart. Then there's everyone else in HR and, you know, yeah, it doesn't take a genius. You're, you're right. That you could probably uh, yeah. Yeah. offer a lot of advice there. So I, one of the key areas you, you mentioned in that was, was conflict resolution. And I, I think, as you say, conflict resolution is, is the area that a lot of people are most, um, most scared of, perhaps. How can HR professionals improve their skills in that particular area? Because that's the, the biggest challenge, I think, for, for generalists. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, there are some um, very good organisations out there who, who offer um, really good conflict management skills and, tra and training um, it, this is something that I've done before where we we trained up a number of uh, line managers and HR and union reps actually in mediation and conflict resolution skills and they but then became uh, they, they almost became a well, they became a group of people who'd obviously all been trained in that and for, formed a sort of support group to each other. And when we had cases that uh, would probably likely to have gone through a formal route, we offered people the opportunity to work with one of these people to, to facilitate a, an outcome. Um, and I can't remember the exact figures now, but there was after one year, the number of cases that we had prevented going through to a formal grievance or a formal, um, yeah, formal grievance, you know, we'd reduced the number basically by quite, quite a significant amount. Um, so that was a brilliant way for HR people to develop those skills. So I think training is, is a really, really good way. Um, but I don't think it, I think the organization ought to look at to get the most out of this probably don't just look at you know what does that person need or that person need say is there an organizational need to try to improve our conflict resolution in which case you know get as many of your, of your HR people through that as you can um, again as I say I mean you know the so much of it I think is about confidence um, I would say to people as well 
really get to know your union reps. I, I will just give you one small example of one place I've worked where there was a leadership suite. Um, so all the leaders, including the HR business partner for that area, all sat in this very, very, you know, posh, the poshest part of the building um, in their suite. Outside the door in the corridor was the union meet, uh, meeting room. And uh, I used to go in there in and out all the time. Whenever I was there, I'd knock on the door, go in and say hello, see if anyone wants a coffee or whatever. Nobody from the management suite, including the HR person, ever went in the union office. So, you know, I used to talk to the HR person and say, um, what stops you doing that? You know, you'd learn a lot, you'd build the relationship. And it was, it was basically being scared to do it. Yeah, you know, I think the culture sense. was, hmm. yeah, I mean, I think the culture was as well, HR shouldn't be seen in there or managers shouldn't be seen in there. Well, if, if your leaders have set the tone that we work with our union reps, then, then mirror it. Go in there and do it yourself as well. I mean, if you've got an anti-union environment, you're probably not going to do it. Um, you know, so you, you have to take your, your lead from the, from the, you know, the, the senior leaders, I guess. But I would say HR is always just pluck up the courage. They're just employees who work for your for the business. You know, they're like they're like the rest of us. Exactly, exactly. And integration can only be a good thing. I, I'm with you, as you said. I wondered if you were even going to say like there was the suite, and then there was this kind of spit and sawdust office next door where they were sometimes, because it <laughs> feels like that, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So it's it's funny. So moving forward, I mean clearly you've probably seen both sides you've worked in organizations that have had very challenging employee relations environments but hopefully the opposite where organizations have a real positive employee relations environment I mean, what, what does that look like you know when organizations have that positive perhaps unionized piece and the positive er policies in place how does that feel at an organization yeah i think that you know that the um the tone is set at the, the top of the organization. So what it looks like to me is the CEO or the MD or whoever um, trusts the senior leaders of the, of the trade of, in the trade union. Um, they respect each other's opinions and views. They don't always agree with each other, but they respect each other's views. Um, and you, as an employee in the business, you can see that. So you can you can hear it in the language of the, the leaders, you can hear it in the, the language of the of the trade unions. Um, you know, the the CEO, for example, will talk about the unions as being stakeholders in the business. They'll talk about their employees as being stakeholders in the business and they'll demonstrate it. Um, so I think that's that's sort of how how you see it at the at the top of the organisation, if you like, and the relationship feels strong enough that when something's thrown at you, you know, COVID or um, you know some of the other issues um, that will be coming our way, I imagine with restructuring or change, that the relationship is strong enough to handle that type of change and disagreement. So you might fall out, but if you fall out. You, you fall out respectfully, I guess. And you're soon looking to, how do we get this? How do we, how do we 
we need to keep talking to each other. So how do we put that one beside us and carry on? Um, I think the leaders of the business genuinely want to know what the union or unions think. Um, if they trust that the union reps really do represent the views of employees, they want to know what they think. You know, these are leaders who don't think they have the answers to everything. You know, they'll, they'll talk to their teams and get their views. They'll talk to the union reps and get their views. Um, so I think that's another sort of char characteristic. Um, I think having, you know, good, good ER to me is that things don't get out of control. So if there are issues rumbling, then union reps will raise it with HR or union reps will let raise it with line managers. And there'll be um, uh, an onus on those people, a desire even, to want to try and resolve what's happening. So they don't allow issues to escalate and escalate and escalate out of control. You know, you've got HR people who are sort of curious to go and find out what's going on. You know, you've got line managers who see it as part of their job to solve problems and they solve them with union reps. Um, I think it's really evident if you go into a workplace and you sit in a union meeting um, and you just watch the behaviours. You know, we talked about behaviours earlier on. I think they've got to be, you know, you would you would see them as being constructive. You'd see it as a meeting like any other meeting. Um, and, you know, if things aren't panning out like that, you would see somebody challenge it and say, Look, hang on a minute, you know, you weren't listening or don't raise your voice. I mean, I, I have done that so many times where I, you know, I've literally had union reps shouting at me um, and you have to challenge it and say, why is that okay? Um, yeah, so I think those are the sorts of things that you would see in a good, you know, in a in a sort of positive employee relations climate. I think you'd you'd also see that conflict is okay. Um, there isn't there isn't an issue about we can't have any conflict. It's it's we are going to have conflict. It's how we deal with it that is going to def define. It will be the difference, if you like. Um, so we'll when it arises because it will arise um we will try to understand it and we will we will try to facilitate a resolution to that i think one of the one of the things that i'm probably sort of most proud of um in my most recent role was a, a body that we called the policy forum um and we set it up jointly with union reps and hr and uh, this forum was all about modernizing the employment proposition at this company. Now, what they'd always done before um, was HR would come up with a new policy they wanted to bring in or a revised policy. They'd get a group of union reps together and they'd present it to them and they'd then negotiate um, forever and never agree anything. So nothing ever, it just was a waste of time. And it was hugely frustrating. And nobody felt, well, what's the point? You know, everyone felt, what's the point of meeting with them? We never get anything done. And that's a really common feeling. So what we did with this policy forum is, 
uh, the most senior reps and our senior HR people, they got together, I think we did about every six weeks. We agreed this from an HR perspective, these are the policies that we either want to get rid of because we don't think we need anymore, or we want to revise because they're out of date, they're old fashioned, the laws changed, um, or we want to introduce something new, we've got to modernize. So we put our list up and the, the, we'd let the unions put up their list. Most of the time, about 80% of them were exactly the same. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so we'd say, okay, let's not try and tackle everything in one year. So let's just take these five or these four, depending on how big they were. And then we'd say, right, we'll set up a small group. Um, so we'll have, you know, two or three reps, an HR person, a couple of managers, and we will define a problem statement that says, why do we want to change that policy or introduce it? What one sentence, and then we will sit down and we will work on this as a problem to solve together. Now, if the solution was, well, why doesn't HR go away and get the latest ACAS code of practice, or you know, we'll go and find one from another employer and we'll use that as our basis and we'll, we'll build that. Then so that we, we literally gave everybody uh, a set period of time, maximum 12 weeks. They worked on it. They brought it back to the policy forum with a proposal. And then we got it signed off by our HR director okay. and the business as well. Um, there was never, it was never a negotiation. You know, negotiation implies at some point, you know, you've got to agree something. Uh, but it, but it put, also puts a bit of a, um, we're now negotiating. So we've now got to be really serious and we've got to, you know, yeah, yeah. behave like negotiation this. hat on and you know. yes exactly um yeah we're in formal negotiation we can't talk to anyone you know etc so but we were saying that the but policies are actually something that as an organization you know we care about and they're going to affect everybody so let's just try and make something which is you know modern practical fits the business um legally compliant etc um and who better to know that than some line managers who are going to have to implement it, HR, because they've got the, their sort of, you know, legal background or whatever, and they know what works, and some employees who are going to say, actually, that's never going to work. Why would we do that? Actually, we'd prefer it. Could we do it like that? Could we do it? And in the space of three years, we bought in more new policy, revised more policies than, than they had managed in the previous decade. <laughs> Superb. Okay, but by working and as a team, effectively, we did it as a as a team, um, and we we did we never said to the unions we're not negotiating. We just didn't negotiate. We just ch chose to do it a, a different style. Um, and what that also demonstrated was that if you see things as joint problems to solve, rather than starting out as two parties at opposite ends of the spectrum, we have to reach something in the middle. Actually, we just changed the way that we saw the problem, if you like. Um, and we started out with, a, we've each got a valid input. I mean, it, it took some hard sort of facilitation hmm. because there's some union reps, a bit like me, who can talk forever, Simon. <laughs> um, so you need some structure to make sure that they, you know, that we re we reached the uh, the end point within the the time sure. we'd given them, which is why we put a sort of time limit on it. 
Um, but it no doubt absolutely fundamentally worked. Well, yeah, it sounds like, a, as you say, you reached a, a positive employee relations environment and by doing things yeah. in a slightly different way and, and empowering them, really, there's a bit of that going on, isn't there? Is, you know, you can probably yeah. do a great job on this and, oh, as it is, we agree with you. You know, you, you almost, sometimes you, I'm not saying this is what happened in this case, but sometimes almost letting them have the win when it's what you wanted anyway is a good thing. You know, you, you, you reach that common ground and, um, you know, but as you say, but, but not seeing it as a negotiation, which is that IR piece, isn't it? Is we're, we're here, the, you know, the, the, the union is there yeah. and there's yeah. going to be this slow edging towards a resolution. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and there are, you know, there are times, particularly with things like pay negotiations, where that is exactly what it's going to be like. You know, you, you've got a mandate. Um, you know, you can only spend X amount of money and the unions have a different expectation um and they also can't go back and say we didn't have an enormous fight to get here because otherwise you know employees are going to feel like they haven't really put their back into it so there there is often a bit of a dancing around the handbags as people often call it um and there has to be a little bit of that but I think where I've got to is don't do that if you don't have to. I, you know, I was always prepared to say, no, I think they're right on that one. I think they're, I think they're right. We've listened to everybody and actually they are absolutely right. Let's just do it. Um, you know, so I think what, where it's good to get to, if you can, is to, um, you know, be, don't, be, don't be so sort of, stuck in the way that that says you know because they're a union I have to disagree with them actually listen to it listen to their point of view for what it's worth in as HR I don't think you have to always side with managers you know maybe this is a sort of fundamental point that we could probably talk about all day, but you know, I think your your role is to, um, and I know lots of my colleagues I've worked with over the years may ha have got a different view. You know, it is okay to challenge leaders. That should be part of our job. Um, but also challenge the union reps because they're not always right either. You know, so so how do you? That that's part of the HR skill, is to be able to listen to both sides of 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 the story um, and encourage a, a resolution. But it doesn't have to be, well, I'm gonna believe them because they're a manager and not believe them because they're a union rep. Because I, mm. I think that's not gonna get the best outcome for the business. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I think, I remember a thousand years ago, it feels like I was working, I was working for a business that was taken over by Barclay Card, and I was learning about what HR was then. I was I was in an L and D team and, and moving across into HR, and um, this guy kept describing HR as an uncomfortable companion uh, to the business, and I didn't really know what he was on about at the time. But as I've moved into this role and for the last eighteen years, been seeing the role that HR plays in an organisation, it is, isn't it? I mean, it's it's as you say, you 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 have that role where and and in a positive employee relations environment, you're you're treating both sides of the argument equally and hopefully getting to a, a positive resolution, which is is the key thing. Hey, Debbie, yeah. thank yeah. you so much for your time. You've been really generous with it, and I, it's um, 
I, I genuinely could talk to you all day because this is an area that really interests me. And I, I'm sure you've got some fantastic stories to tell that we're not allowed to discuss <laughs> on air, sadly, but, um, but another time. But hey, thank you so much. Good luck with Make Work Better. I, I'm assuming if people want to reach out to you, is LinkedIn the best way to find you? Um, if anyone is yes, watching this Yeah, podcast, LinkedIn would be great. Great stuff. And, I, and if anyone wants to talk about, you know, ER coaching or whatever, I am happy to talk to, to people about that. Fabulous. If, if anyone can't find Debbie, then find me and I can I can obviously uh, connect you. But thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to talk. And, um, you know, let's hope the rest of the day and the week and the coming months continue in this positive vein that we're experiencing this morning. Cheers, Debbie. Thank Appreciate you, Simon. Time. See day. you soon.